it's amazing what's going on, the, the different variations of, of how people just look at things to start with, but then also how they can uh, expound that into theories that yeah. some are reasonable, but some are just plain out there wackadoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, some people who've proposed Zodiac candidates who have turned out not to be Zodiac are, they're totally reasonable theories. And then some, and, and, lots of the people have done very good work in service of those theories. And then there are people who, you know, <laughs> have, there are people with a tenuous hold on reality and who see the That's a good way to say it. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's better than saying wackadoo, right? That, that identifies yeah. at least one of the people on this podcast. <laughs> Don't be talking about yourself, Morgan. Come on now. Why not? I make the most sense to myself, like you were saying, Jared, earlier. It's like, I'm, I'm my own best judge. Well, let's let's take that and start getting into now this research, because there are some things, uh, it was fascinating, too, about the zines. So tell everybody about the zines, how that started playing in when you started doing research on that, yeah. the Tolkien-related things. There's <laughs> sure. a lot of things that, on its face, if you just looked at it separately, it looks like, okay, this is weird. But when you put it in context, it's like, okay, yeah. there's there's a lot of things that connect here. Yeah. So what's the best way? There was a person who's part of the online community who identified Zodiac in October 28th sends in this mailing. It's a card that's become called the Halloween card. And on the back of it, it has this weird acrostic where the word slaves and paradise form a cross and then in each of the quadrants formed by that cross, it says, by knife, by gun, by rope, by fire. Uh, this person who's online, I, who was called Tahoe27, no one knows who they were, um, found this old comic book, uh, Tim Holt number 30, that has this wheel of death on it that has the same four things by on the cover by knife by rope by fire by gun and when we say by two we want people to understand that's by not buy like go oh, buy yeah. a knife yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah by how do you yeah. buy fire okay bye so yeah. uh, it's funny because since the books have come out i've become less certain about that connection for a variety of reasons that aren't worth getting into but at the time i was like well this feels right because when Zodiac's first cipher is decoded, it's a reference to perhaps the short story, The Most Dangerous Game, or one of its film adaptations. I had been doing some research where it, you know, and Zodiac sent another letter later in 1970. That's just a transcription of Gilbert and Sullivan. I had done enough research at this point that I had found a couple of places where I was very certain that Zodiac was quoting from previously published works. Um, one that I think is definitive is in that same letter that he quotes from Gilbert and Sullivan, Gilbert and Sullivan he has a letter that, he, that comes before it. It's essentially two letters sent as one letter. And in that, he lists a bunch of different methods of torture, one of which is he's going to feed his slaves salt beef and lock them in a dungeon and laugh at them while they die of thirst. 
uh, I was able to find um, where that actually comes from, which is Scottish history or Scottish pseudo history. It's like in a book by Sir Walter Scott that was published in the 1800s, um, other stuff like that. And so the thing that I started to get really interested in was across the letters, he's constantly talking about how he's going to have slaves in paradise. All the people I will kill will become my slaves in paradise. This sounded to me a little bit like a comic book, a little bit like Pulp Fiction, you know, and I have a friend who is an expert on golden age comic books. So I sent him an email or a text message. No, I sent him an email and then I followed up in text where I was like, does this sound like any comic book you've ever heard? And he came back and was like, no, it doesn't. But you know what? This guy sounds like he wrote for fanzines and fanzines were, I mean, the way that I describe it in the book to really sort of condense it is the internet before the internet. People had cheap reproduction uh, devices. Eventually it's Xerox machines, but before that it's mimeograph machines. It's all these other things which allowed people to make their own magazines. And these things really started in the science fiction community. Um, but by the time the internet itself became mass, you know, mass adoption of the, the internet, it expanded to everything. People did, were doing wrestling zines, people were doing, you know, DIY zines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, these magazines, these little magazines would have print runs of anywhere from 15 to 300 to a thousand copies. And People mostly wrote them themselves, but if you had a successful fanzine, uh, your readers would send in letters. Your readers would send in pieces. And because you were desperate for content, much like the internet, you, you would run them. You know, like the letters look like comments on an article on the Daily Mail or something. The pieces look like blog posts or whatever. Like the, the analogy is not exactly right, but it's right enough. Um, and so my friend sent me this text message and I was like, well, can't hurt, can it? So I typed in Vallejo fanzines into Google. Vallejo being the site of the first two Zodiac attacks and where Zodiac sent one of the first three letters he sent it to the Vallejo Times Herald. I think at this point, everyone has accepted based on what we know about geographical profiling, et cetera, et cetera. Zodiac had some connection to Vallejo. Um, so it's like, sure, why not? <laughs> let's, let's Google Vallejo fanzines. And the second result was a letter by a guy named Paul Dorr. D-O-E-R-R, -R, who it was in the winter of 1970. And he had sent a letter into a science fiction fanzine called Tight Beam. And, you know, this is another thing where the internet is truly amazing. Uh, the science fiction people have 
been trying to digitize this history of fanzines. There's a website called fanac.org, which has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things, which some of these things only had 20 copies. It's incredible. Um, so in any event, there's a letter from a guy named Paul Dorr. And in this letter, which sounds not that far from Zodiac, but I understand what confirmation bias is. And I'm not thinking it's Zodiac, but I'm like, oh, this sounds like Zodiac. Paul Dorr is complaining, is talking about how the best way to get one over on the United States Postal Service is to use one cent stamps on every letter uh, because then they have something like they have to cancel all the stamps. I'm not sure if that's in the letter or if that's something his daughter told me later, but like he's, it's, it's like he's, his idea of civil protest is let's just use one cent stamps. And no, wait a minute. The only way that would affect the post office is if they were efficient in the first place, they I, aren't. So I don't know that they would. Well, they used to be. They it used turns to be. Out, it turns out that door, which I didn't know when I was writing the book, but I finally got not that long ago, his, full employment history, um, his full federal employment history. He worked for the post office in about 1953 or 1954. And according to his daughter, daughter had some kind of lifelong grudge against them. Um, in any event, I see this and the letter, you know, based on when the zine was published, it's clear that the letter was probably sent uh, in December or Jan uh, December 1969 or January 1970, um, the last Zodiac letter of 1969 was sent on December 20th, 1969, to the lawyer Melvin Belli, who a year before that ended up in an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, he's, um, there's a famous name back from the past, you know, Melvin yeah, Belli, yeah. man. He was on he was involved in so many cases. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was he's interesting. He was like one of those 20th century super lawyers who has been forgotten in a way that a lot of the like people still think about F. Lee Bailey. You That's know, what I was gonna was, say, yeah. I was about to say F. Lee Bailey, you know, Flea, but Melvin yeah. Belli, you have to go dig a little bit to find that name. But, but he, I would yeah, I would he, posit to your use your word that Belli was much better at it than F. Lee Bailey was. Oh, he was a he was a much better lawyer. There's no question of that. And you know, he was famous. He ended up on Star Trek. It's people knew who he was, and for so the then, nerdsville out there, man, you're on Star Trek. It's like you're golden, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like Zodiac was sending the letter to indisputably the most famous person in San Francisco. There's a reason why, which is, well, I posit there's a reason why people can be skeptical about this. But the day before he sends that letter, Herb Kane the famous gossip columnist writes about Belli and Zodiac two lines apart. And there's a whole pattern here of Zodiac sending letters in response. In any event, on that letter to Melvin Belli, Zodiac only uses one cent stamps. Now I'm not like, I'm not crazy. I easily, that could be a coincidence. 
Yeah, that's too big of that is too big of a coincidence, though. I mean, that's that's one of those things. It's like having two people get the same Powerball number right. You know, yeah, the odds are in the yeah, but coincidences yeah. happen, right? Yeah, like, but again, things. coincidences happen. But you're now you're talking about constrained geographically, yeah, chronographically. You know, time, place, well, location. That's a little. I, if somebody did it halfway across the United States, I'd say okay, yeah. but that's too close in time and place. Well. I I try to be as skeptical as every of everything as I can. Some people do not believe that, but that is true. I was not convinced of anything other than this is interesting. I should look into the sky more. Not thinking this is zodiac, but thinking to some degree seeing this person having this alternate point of view on the moment is not a terrible thing to have if you're writing about this moment. So <laughs> I, I start digging in the door and eh, what very quickly becomes apparent is that this guy is one of the most prolific writer letters, uh, certainly in the Bay area of the 20th century, possibly of America. You know, like Dor wrote a lot of letters and he wrote a lot of letters for publication. And because we live in a moment where a lot of things have been digitized in that initial day or two of looking at it, <clears throat> you could find a lot of letters from the guy. And there were some stylistic ticks that resembled Zodiac. Nothing too crazy, you know, but enough again that it warranted more investigation and then it turned out that door had actually published his own fanzines and i was able to get research copies from some very bored pandemic era librarians who were happy <laughs> to happy do something to have, right yeah happy to have <laughs> something to do so you know and the pandemic was an enormous benefit in this because it was a moment where you could email the librarians and be like, Hey, do you have this? And they'd get it to you the next day. Um, this is not how it usually works otherwise. Cause I've had to, you know, I've gotten stuff subsequently post the real cool off from the pandemic. And now stuff takes two weeks. Now stuff takes three weeks, you know? but I was getting it pretty instantly. So, so I send out a couple of emails and over the course of a couple of days, doors, most obviously accessible and easy to find fanzines come in. And there's two of them that prove to be very significant. One of them is called Hobbitalia number one, which is supposed to be a fanzine about J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, it mostly is, but Dor also writes an eight-page article about jewelry, and um, which is not that weird for fanzines. And the other is this thing called, I don't know if it's Pioneer number nine or number 10 anymore. It's been a while. Um, Pioneer is Dor's, what he describes as a wild crafting zine. Um, Essentially, it's libertarians 
you know, it's like a libertarian how to live off the grid kind of zine. So I get Hobbitalian number one. <laughs> and yeah, you go through it and it's like, oh my God, it's eight pages about jewelry. This is the worst, stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. You get to the last page, the 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 last sheet of paper. So the page before the last page has door writing about codes and ciphers relative to Tolkien's language. Languages is fictional languages for dwarfs and elves. You get to the next, the final page, and there's a cipher that door has put together on it. And then I look at the postmark, and the postmark is April 23rd, 1970. Zodiac had sent out a cipher on April 20th, 1970, the infamous Z13. Again, this seems weird and coincidental (laughs) in a way that I wasn't expecting, because this is the first thing of his that I get you know, his first self-published thing. And it's like, well, this is really getting weird. And then I make my way through other issues of Hobbitalia, other things that have come in. And I get to, I guess it's pioneer number 10 and pioneer number 10 is just a bunch of hints. Like, Hey, if you want to grow vegetables, without fertilizer here's how you do it if you want to build a hut here's how you do it and then you you know about halfway through it (laughs) door has the formula for anfo um which is an explosive ammonium nitrate fuel oil which is what timothy mcveigh used and And so and the thing is zodiac published that formula too in one of the letters that he sent uh the cops didn't republish it but in i think the letter of november 9th 1969 zodiac has a bomb a bomb diagram and he says how he's going to make the bomb and the formula is anfo um he says it a little different he doesn't say fuel oil he says stove oil but i chased that down and oh my god that was a nightmare but basically he means fuel oil um he means kerosene something like that uh and the thing that is really curious about zodiac's uh bomb thing his bus bomb is he's got every component in there except a primer so the bomb wouldn't have actually worked when you look at Door's description using some of the same abbreviations, uh, Door also neglects to include a primer. See now, see, so at this point, it's kind of like Holmes, you know, Sherlock Holmes said, when you eliminate everything it isn't, you're left with what it is. So, you know, we would do adversarial thinking about cases, you know, kind of the devil's advocate. You try to find poke holes. Couldn't be him because he was in prison. Couldn't have been him because he was on the other side of the country. But to this point, when you're looking at it, because you said you were a skeptical guy, what have you found so far that that can disprove that door is your guy? Has has anything uh, arisen yet to say, nope, can't be him because of this? Are you, are you asking right now or are you asking? No, no, at that, that point in your investigation. Oh, no, no, nothing, nothing. 
Um, and it's clear from his writing that he's in the right place at the right time. He lived in Fairfield, which is about a 20 minute drive from Vallejo. Um, he worked on Mare Island, which is the main industry in Vallejo. It's a naval shipyard. And many people have theorized long before I found Door that Zodiac probably worked at Mare Island uh, for a variety of reasons. And no, nothing excludes him. <laughs> and now I have, I mean, the weirdly, the cipher I was pretty skeptical on, even though I could see the significance of it. Because if you see, if you're familiar with Tolkien fan stuff, those people use Tolkien's languages for ciphers everywhere. Not quite like this, but it's not unusual if you're looking at a Tolkien zine from, say, 1974. Well, yeah, they, they want to speak Elvish. They want to speak, you know, exactly. all the other stuff. I mean, there are so many languages that, you know, so, go with that. Yeah, so the Anfo was the moment where I felt like this has gone from being possible to it started to approach plausibility. Um, it's really started to approach plausibility. I then had to do this very tedious investigation of, well, how common was the Anfo formula? both when Zodiac wrote his letter in 69 and uh, when Dorr published Pioneer number 10, which I think was in 1971. So by 1971, it was much better known um, because there had been a bombing, a really terrible bombing on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison where they weren't students, but for lack of a better way to describe them, student radicals in opposition to the Vietnam War made the highly uh, comprehensible gesture of of blowing up a building using a truck full of ANFO. Um, so at that point, ANFO had really... ANFO enters the consciousness. And that's the first time, as far as anyone can tell that ANFO was ever weaponized. There had been accidental explosions. People had used it in construction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's plausible that Door wouldn't have had to ha need secret, some kind of insider knowledge to have the ANFO formula. What became curious is how would Zodiac have it? Um, because you can tell from Zodiac's letter by the lack of the primer, this is not a guy, this is somebody who's writing something they've never done before. Uh, you don't build this enormous bomb, this enormous diagram and think this all the way through and then leave out the component. And he lists every component you need for this bomb. It's not like... And the one thing, and so then the one thing that's missing is the primer. So how would Zodiac have this knowledge? And it turns out 
really the only place. And I mean, some people disagree with me on this. I, I, the book goes into it. I should have gone into it more, but in 1969, there were very, very, very few places where you could have found out about ANFO if you weren't working in construction, if you weren't a military person. Or and, I just pulled up the thing, the use in that, uh, who learned how to make this is from Wisconsin, used maliciously in 1970 by when protests by students became violent, who learned how to make and use Anfoam from a Wisconsin Conservation Department booklet entitled Pothole Blasting for yeah. Wildlife. So Good God. I Well, I mean, what's interesting about that is that story is not true. Uh, somebody wrote a, Somebody wrote a huge book about ra- about that bombing called Rads. Uh-huh. And it turns out the way those guys found out about Anfo, they visited someone's uncle who had a farm mm-hmm. and they saw him blowing up potholes for, or, or blasting duck ponds. And then somehow maybe they ended up with pothole blasting for wildlife when they were making the bomb. But, that's, but they knew the formula from having oh, okay. seen it happen on a farm. But but even then, even if they didn't get it from there, what is yeah. the de- conservation department putting out booklets saying use Anfo to blast potholes? Well, you have to imagine it's a really different world, you know. Like nobody considered the, the, the you know dynamite was originally invented for peaceful purposes by Alfred Nobel, yeah. the peace prizes, you know. But right. it's a really really different world. In 1969 and 1967, the world really changes when it comes to this stuff. But prior to that. People aren't really blowing good. things up. Yeah, they're just not. It's not a, it's, n- and also the other thing too is like you have to have a historical imagination for this stuff, which is in 1969, and this is why I think Door and Zodiac are really significant. Information isn't easy to come by. It's not like you have a phone or a computer and you can type in "anfo" or how to make a bomb. Very this good stuff point. is not easy to get. It's not super difficult, but it's not. It's not something that could just accidentally co- you could come across. You, you'd have to go looking for it. So, turns out that when Zodiac writes his letter, really the only place that's not a trade or military publication that has published the ANFO formula is this group of far-right militia people called the Minutemen. Now, if you go and you look at the Minutemen's FBI file, which has been digitized and put online by this company called Gale Cengage, they've got a membership list. And in that membership list, which, I mean, I feel bad for the poor person who had to do this because somebody went through and figured out who was alive and who was dead when that file was being redacted. And it's got thousands of names in it. Uh, there is Paul Dore with his Vallejo return address. Wow. And then it's even crazier because the Minutemen... And this is something that people, again, had speculated years before. The Minutemen, yeah, they had a couple of quasi-terrorist attempts that didn't really come to anything. But the way that they 
mostly functioned was through sending anonymous letters through the mail and with one cent stamps (laughs) possibly (laughs) mostly they used george washington stamps um yeah but they could have they could have uh and the their logo was a crosshairs just like zodiac yep yeah See, it, the coincidences are lining up, but I know in, in the book you start, I mean, you do a lot of research, so you keep adding to this, um, but do you reach a point in your research where you begin to doubt your conclusions or, and I'm not I talking st- about later after the book's published, I'm talking about while you're doing it. Is there any point where you get worried about your own train of thought going, am I believing in this too much? Am I, if I got some oh, kind of a, you know, a cognitive bias here going on? For the Confirmation bias, I mean. Yeah, yeah, for the whole thing. I mean, I think the book in addition to being about what it's about on the surface is a book about doubt. You know, it's a book about no one is more aware of the, the reality that this could be wrong. Statistically, it should be wrong. Lots, you know, thousands of people have found Zodiac or found a Zodiac suspect. Why would I be the one who's right? Statistically, it should be wrong. I mean, the whole time, I I still, you know, even when I was publishing the book, I felt very uncomfortable with whether or not anything had been, I mean, nothing had been proved. Nothing's proved until law enforcement says it's proved. But was this enough? Had it, had I really found enough information? Um, did, did you equivocate on pulling the trigger, no pun intended, on this with the book and stuff? I mean, did you have doubts about should I publish or should I not, even after you went through all of this work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, up until the day it was published. That kind know. of would have sucked with your publishers. Nah, I don't want to do it. And they're going to go, eh, it's a little too late now, Skippy. We're uh, halfway down well, the runway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's complicated. It's the whole thing is complicated. I find it really, really complicated. And, but I will say at the same time, just even though I had those concerns and they were real and genuine, I was able to see that door was looking better and better with a bunch of different discoveries. I mean, the one for me that's absurd and which I think people have had a hard time with this because it's so crazy and they're not wrong. I mean, I think everyone's right to find it crazy. Door was sending in letters <clears throat> and it's important to know that this is post Zodiac. Um, Door was sending in letters. Wait, real to, quick, when you say post Zodiac, do you mean still back in the 70s where the killings had stopped? Yeah. So this is around like 74, 75. Door is sending in letters to a neo pagan journal called Green Egg. Green Egg has an editorial policy where any letter that it gets, it will publish. Door becomes a really prolific correspondent to this journal um, to the point where other people are writing in letters complaining about how many letters he has in it. (laughs) (laughs) And there is an issue in which the editors of the journal 
who are complicated figures in their own right, are explaining. So I should back up and say, Green Egg was the publication of this thing called the Church of All Worlds, which was a neo-pagan religious entity. Um, so in addition to it being, and they were located in St. Louis. So in addition to it being a place where they are sending in, they're publishing all these letters that people are sending them from everywhere. They're also publishing church business. So in this issue, door, sorry, the editors tell the story of how they left their daughter with a couple in the church the couple in the church took their daughter to a commune. The commune leader fed their daughter LSD, cut her hair, and told her that her parents were dead. Um, and so they're very pissed about this, and they're just letting people know about it. And then they, you know, they have this problem, which is there's no real crime to be charged here because the only witness to it is their daughter, because everybody else who's at the commune is in the thrall of the cult leader. Um, and so they're like, what would you do? That's how, that's how this ends. Dor, in the next issue, writes in and tells them what he would do, which is kill them. And then he huh, writes... Wow. And that, well, no, but I mean, it gets even weirder. Then he writes something like, don't publish this part of the letter. But I had a similar situation that happened a couple of years ago. And now there are less people around because of it. The only good enemy, dot, dot, dot. And then the return address is Vallejo on the letter. Wow. So you can read this in one way and lots of people have, and it is not an invalid interpretation of, well, this is just somebody talking tough, right? This is somebody who's just a big shot at the same time. What I would say is had the police in 1974, when this letter was published, known about this letter at the very least, Dor would have become a very plausible candidate for being Zodiac, independent of everything else. Well, and he would have been interviewed at least. There would be an yeah. interview. Somebody would have visited him. You know, generate well, a lead. What they would, what they would have found had they visited him, is a guy who's good with ciphers, who knew about cryptology, and had a house full of guns. You well, know. also, I thought I read somewhere where he was a member of Mensa. Yeah, he was also a member of Mensa. Yeah. So he does have the intellect to... to oh, yeah. No, Dor was very bright. I actually think one of the reasons why he is an uncomfortable candidate for Zodiac is because we don't want Zodiac to be anything special. You know? Like, that's just human nature. You don't want criminals to be special. You want them to be sad and pathetic people. And in many ways, he was. Mm -hmm. But he was really, really smart. But you know what they call? Oh, go ahead, that, Murph. That would contribute to his idea that he's smarter than everybody else. And he's writing yeah. these, these encrypted yeah. communications and nobody can figure it out. I mean, I think there's a thing that Dor and Zodiac have in common, which 
is, you know, and my father was like this. My father was like this more than anyone. My father was one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Hands down, easily, probably the smartest person I ever met in my life. My father did not have access or opportunity to the kinds of things that society uses to sort and reward smart people. You know, I don't even know if my father graduated from high school. So you had a guy who was really brilliant, but had to work in a factory. And that generates a kind of crazy resentment towards the world. And that, you know, and one, what those guys do is they read a lot. They read a lot, a lot, a lot, but they don't read in the way that you're trained. You used to be anyway, trained to read at something like Harvard or Yale. It's a different kind of reading. And it comes across where you're constantly making references to other things to show that you know something, that you're part of the world. And that's what Zodiac does. And that is really what Dor does. Dang. I mean, like I said, so now at the time you're doing this, do any other names pop up during your research that kind of rose to the top, but you discounted them? Or is Dor like... As you're no, doing this, kind of like the, he's, he's the one that's head and shoulders above everybody else in terms well, of logical well, suspects. I mean, the thing you have to remember, I didn't want to write. I didn't want to do this. I wasn't writing about Zodiac to find a suspect or to solve it. I wanted to write about it as a phenomenon, as a way of trying to understand California in the 1970s, which I think is the single craziest place in time in American history. Um, so I didn't want to do any of this door just showed up because of my friend and like a Google search. Uh, you know, I looked at other names, sure, but I wasn't interested in, in, in that because I went into this, I think with the totally rational position of this is completely unsolvable to try to solve it is how you will go crazy and not really get anywhere. Lots of people who are very, very, very smart have looked at this and come up with terrible answers. So I don't, I don't want to be one of these people. You know? So when did you cross the Rubicon? When did it change from being a book about the phenomenon that was Zodiac to, hey, I'm, uh, I may be uncovering yeah. Zodiac? Well, I mean, it's split into two books, right? It's How to Find Zodiac, and then it's Motor Spirit, which is the phenomenology book. Um, pretty quickly, it became apparent to me that Dor might warrant his own book. And then, you know, one of the things that I kept doing, and one of the reasons why I found so much stuff about him, is because I was trying desperately to not have to do that book, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> to disprove everything. Yeah. yeah. To do, well, I mean, my, 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 my position from the beginning of this was I'm not trying to prove that door is Zodiac. I'm trying to disprove that door is Zodiac. And the more that I went in, the less that I, the, I just never found anything. And, you know, so I think a criticism of that would be, well, how do you prove a negative? I think, 
think the rejoinder to that would be it's not as hard as you would think, at least in terms of this, because there are lots of people who have been floated as Zodiac and who have been discredited, not just by law enforcement, by independent researchers being like, no, well, I mean, he here's a reason why that person couldn't be. So I and one of the reasons why I was so comprehensive is because I didn't look, I did not want to smear someone who could not defend themselves, mm-hmm. you know? So I've... Yeah, that beats you know, going on Maury or one of those other talk shows. And, you know, ah, you know, all of these TikTok detectives now with the Idaho murders and the other stuff, we got yeah, it yeah. all figured out. And they're not all, they're all wrong, by the way. Yeah. No, I mean, I didn't... At the very least, if I was going to wrongly accuse someone posthumously of a crime... I wanted it to be comprehensive. I wanted it to not just be a hunch that mm-hmm. there was something there, but I really tried my hardest. Well, that, that's what I was giving you credit for. It's like you you arrived at this because of a, of a thought process, a logical conclusion, and it's like you lay all the facts out. What do the facts tell you? It's like doing a criminal case. You exactly. know, hey, you know, you lay the facts out, you follow the facts, right? So to falsely accuse somebody is to count, start with the outcome in mind and then build your case to support it. You did it the other way around. You were just investigating and out of that yeah. popped the that's, person. Uh, and, and just to, to add on to what Morgan's saying there, that's exactly what a good investigator does is you're looking to, you don't want to get focused on one person so that you're jaded by every, everybody else. As the information comes in, you look to disprove it or accept it as proof. Yeah. You know, and it's it's exactly what you've done here. I mean, you're doing the same thing that a criminal investigator would have done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's it was it it's been something. I I'll I'll say that. Well, well, real quick, let's put a pin in that for a second because sure. I want to ask you from beginning to end, when you decided, hey, I'm gonna do this, how long did this take you? About a year. Okay. About a year. I mean most of the most of the significant discoveries with Door actually happened surprisingly fast. Um, now, does the and, year including writing, or is that just the year for research? Oh, no, that's, that's including the writing. Okay. I, I mean, again, I think the thing that has to be emphasized is that this was happening during the pandemic. So I wasn't doing anything, and librarians weren't doing anything. So it wasn't... Really accelerated this, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, if this had happened now, it probably would have taken three, four years just in terms of getting that material, Mm -hmm. seeing it, you know, like just the interruptions of life. It just Mm -hmm. happened to be this moment where absolutely nothing was happening. Yeah. Hey, let's ask you about that, though, because you, you keep referencing law enforcement. You got... At what point did you share information or did you share information with law enforcement, the FBI or San Francisco PD and yeah. say, let's test some things here? Oh, I mean, about a weekend. Um, I, a weekend, there was enough about Door. There was the ciphers, there was the info, there was other stuff, but those were the, easily the and most. And what kind of response did you get? None. But I mean, you have to think. I, I and I am incredibly sympathetic. I mean, I I got an email from someone at the SFPD 
saying we'll look into it. That's the only response I get. But, <laughs> yeah, Murph, but, you've done that before, haven't you? Yeah, we'll look into it. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Goes into I mean, file thirteen. I, I gotta say, I am incredibly sympathetic to to these guys because particularly at the SFPD. I don't I know it's still something of an an active investigation in Vallejo. In the other jurisdictions, I think it's just as cold as cold can be. SFPD by virtue again of being the biggest department, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I suspect they are the focus of lots and lots of zodiac tips and I suspect they get at least three or four every week of, oh, it was my uncle. Oh, it was my ex-husband. Well, I mean, you know, know, it is San Francisco. When you have those LSD flashbacks, you just love to call anybody and say anything. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) I'm emailing them about you, Murph. Weren't you you around San Francisco around that time? Hop the train. Yeah. Uh, No, thank you. You know, I I I think the thing is, you know, these guys are human. The context in which a thing arrives is almost as important as the thing itself, the information itself. You get 10 of these tips a week. They all look like shit. You know, they all look bad. And they and they have ongoing case. They have new murder cases that are. Exactly. I mean, their caseload's overwhelming. But yeah. I had one question. Did you, did you by any chance reach out to Doer's family? Oh, that's a whole other story. Um, after the book came out, which was about a February of 2021, I did not reach out to them when I was writing it. And that was another one of these ethically complex things where there wasn't a good answer to how, how to do that because, you know, and I chose to be frank, I chose the path of cowardice. Right. I did not reach out to them. I did not let them know it was coming. After the book came out, um, a journalist by the name of Aaron Gell decided to write a piece about Door, and he ended up placing it with Los Angeles Magazine. And he got in touch with Door's child because Door had a daughter, one kid. Um, his wife died in say September, 2021. Uh, and you know, the daughter has children. And, uh, so Gail reached out to her, her name is Gloria. And when he reached out to her, she was in the process of figuring out whether or not she could sue me. Um, (laughs) then she read the book and decided it that it very possibly was right. Uh, her father, you know, I mean, this was stuff that I could sort of glean from the details that I had. He was an abusive father. He was an ill tempered guy. Uh, he was really strange, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up meeting her, um, in the process of Gell reading, uh, writing his article. And, you know, she's a fascinating person. She's really, really smart, whip smart. And 
she doesn't want it to be true, but she thinks there is a very, very good possibility that it is true. And she, you know, she's had her troubles in life, so not a lot of stuff has survived, but some stuff has. And she showed us this astounding photo of Dor dressed in like Daniel Boone outfit with a bow and arrow right around the time of the Zodiac stuff. And Dor's got a knife, man. And in that photo, that looks really similar to the descriptions of the knife that was used at Lake Berryessa. Really similar. And I read too, didn't uh, Glory was known to frequent that lake area. I mean, that was a, a teenager hangout, right? So, it, so he, yeah, her she, dad would have been familiar with it. Yeah. So all the locations, she has said all of the locations or places that she knew that her father knew. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can prove, you know, that you can, you know, that her father knew about Lake Berryessa because in one of his fanzines, he writes about going to Lake Berryessa, you know, like, Door, I again, and I have said this from the beginning, I am 100% open to the possibility that there is something that I missed, that there's some extenuating reason why Door wouldn't be Zodiac. I think it would be crazy not to accept the possibility. Like, I'm not flawless. I'm not without error. Uh, but that being said, Everything seems to line up, you know, like even down to a guy writing a murder confession. Well, let's let's talk about this because I want this is I want to bring this, you know, um, bring it full circle here, because over the years, other people have been working on it. There was another group called the Code Breakers and stuff. You know, they're working on it. They identified a guy named Gary Francis Post. But even then, uh, you know, when you do the research on this, the authorities said, they don't consider him a suspect. I mean, after all this work, we've reversed engineered, you know, the anagram, we've decrypted everything. Sure. But, um, but so you've had to contend, you know, with that, but that came out about the same time your book did. Your book came out, you said February of 21. Yeah. And, that and was this additional information before. came out like in November of that same year. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So it came out February, 2022. That came 20- out November yeah. 2021. Yeah. yeah. But by February, your book was baked in. I mean, it was already done, right? So there was yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that actually ended up being useful because I had been thinking about it coming out more or less right around that time. Uh, and then it was clear to me, no, this has got to, we need more time before this comes out because there's only so much atmosphere for a Zodiac story. Yeah. If, if somebody else will suck all the oxygen out of the room and then you're starved, you know, for um, a a fair shot at it. Well, let me ask you, um, you know, kind of, because we've been going at this for a couple hours. I mean, it's like, I just, I could go, we could go down the rabbit hole on so many things. Mm -hmm. But today, as you sit here now today, Jarrett Kobeck sitting in your fancy little office, getting ready to jet set because we had to catch you on the day before you fly overseas and you're gone for a while. When you look at this now, what's your level of confidence uh, now versus when it was when you were doing the research? Uh, it's about the same. It's maybe a little bit more. I mean, I cannot discount. I'm not a big fan, and this is not in any way to insult her. I am not a big fan of 
memories that people have decades after the fact, you know, but at the same time, I, I found Gloria to be credible. I found her stories to be self-consistent. Um, and I think that adds a lot, right? Usually, usually if someone's family member is accused of something, the response is no, you know, and she's different than other people who've said a relative of theirs, a Zodiac. She didn't come up with this idea to explain. This is something that effectively I did to her. And I would say that what she saw in the book was a reasonably accurate portrayal of her father by someone who didn't know her father. And I think that has a lot of weight. I mean, it doesn't make him guilty of it, but one of the things that I think Gell found as he was interviewing people, with one or two exceptions, the people he talked to all were like, yeah, he could have done it. You know, he could have done it. And I, like I said, I, more material has come in since the book came out. Not a lot of it is significant. Some of it is, and that stuff, again, points to more towards door being Zodiac than not. Now, I will say, I, ha- I have found, finally, <laughs> the one, a way that he could not be Zodiac, uh, which is on the day of the attack at Lake Berryessa, that Renaissance festival was happening. Um, at 4 p.m., the Society for Creative Anachronism, which was a group Dor was a member of at that point, had an event uh, happen for an hour. By the So if he had been at the Renaissance Festival that day and he attended that event, he could not have gotten to Lake Berryessa in time. It's just mm-hmm. impossible. But <laughs> yeah, but but on the other hand, it's convenient because if he's seen there and he's there earlier, that kind of gives him an alibi because if he's gone for an hour, look, Renaissance Festival, I'm going to guess at that time, again, there may have been recreational pharmaceuticals being used and stuff. It's going to be very difficult to get a, somebody to say, no, I saw him leave and go in this thing. I mean, it could have yeah. been plausible to say he's using it as an alibi, as a cover. If anything happens, he can say, I was at this festival all day. It's also not clear to me that he would actually know about it for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's a plausible way by which he could not be Zodiac. And that is something that when I was writing the book, I didn't have. Um, I didn't find the program until a couple of months after the book came out. But there's a lot of problems with that story, but it is a, it is a plausible way. But well, no, if you'd had access to it, would it have changed your conclusions? No, it would have gone in the book though. You know, like I, the book tries as hard as it can to always present some kind of alternative to this idea because, you know, it's like I said, until someone in law enforcement says this guy is Zodiac, he's not Zodiac. And if they say he's not Zodiac, then he's not Zodiac. Well, and that's the statement here too. Um, 
after the and this this comes out of a newspaper regard, I think it's called The Sun, um, British paper, but after the case breakers October announcement, authorities made it clear they did not officially consider post Gary Francis Post to be a suspect and the case is ongoing. They must be in possession of some information where they can discount that. But I have done looking things up and reading. I have not seen the same thing about door. I, I don't think anyone's taking it that seriously, to be honest. I well, mean, but why would you take that one that seriously then too? Well, because the code breakers, well, my impression, I don't know them. I assume their motivations are genuine. I, I have to. They went to Fox News and they got Fox News somehow to write an article about it. And Fox wrote the most sensational headline, which was something like police say Zodiac. Oh, no, I have it right here. Cold case team says Zodiac killer ID linking him to another murder. Yeah. yeah. And so if you are people who do not read the article, but you read the headline, that sounds like the SFPD has found Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, but on the other hand, we're talking about this other murder that happened several hundred miles away. Has there ever been any proof that has linked Zodiac to that first quote uh, murder? Oh, are you talking about the Sherry Joe Bates? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I can tell you, and I suspect some of the timing in the Gary Francis Post thing is related to this, because as far as I can tell, that story only works if Sherry Joe Bates was killed by Zodiac, uh, the, the Gary Francis Post thing, they're really dependent on Sherry Joe Bates. In April, right be before, in the, uh, sorry, in the August, before that November story about that they, that they had on Fox, Riverside issued a press release saying they found the person who wrote so the reason why Sherry Joe Bates was linked to Zodiac is that someone sent letters claiming to have killed Sherry Joe Bates, and this murder was in 1966. Uh, and there were some stylistic similarities in those letters to the Zodiac letters, and there was enough of a stylistic similarity that. Riverside reached out to Napa after Lake Berryessa to be like, hey, maybe we have the same killer. We that reaching out is available. What we don't have is Napa's response. But you can tell from the fact that this never developed in 69 that people decided the, these cases weren't connected for whatever reason. You know, this reminds me a lot, too, of the Yorkshire Ripper case with the guy who they finally arrested. I mean, I think it took him 20 oh, years. He called in yeah. with the false confession yeah. and yeah. redirected the entire investigation. Well, trust me, this is where we're going. So in October 1970, Zodiac sends in the Halloween card to the reporter, Paul Avery. Very shortly after that, a guy, and this is his real name, named Phil Sins, Call, calls Avery and is like, hey, have you checked out this case in um, Riverside? Avery goes down to Riverside. The cops show Avery all the different stuff they have related to it. And they, they have gotten these letters and they're like, no, we think these are crank letters because, you know, 
you get these letters with cases like this. Um, Avery looks at the letters and for a variety of reasons decides these are Zodiac letters and it gets a little sadder as it goes on. But so anyway, this links Sherry Joe Bates. What happens is somewhere in the 20 teens, the person who wrote at least three of those letters wrote in a letter to Riverside saying, I wrote those letters, but I didn't kill Sherry Joe. I'm really sorry or remorseful that I threw this investigation, whatever. So then <laughs> this person and you know, the, the, the Riverside press release is really poorly written. So you have to kind of do archeology span to figure out what the hell is being said. Apparently this person licked the stamp. So Riverside, yeah, Riverside does genetic genealogy. It also seems like this DNA, and again, the press release is really poorly written, is linked to some fake Zodiac letters in 1970 or 1969. So they find the guy. And at that point, and they, they ascertain very quickly that what he wrote in his original letter was true. He didn't kill anyone. So at that point, Riverside says, these cases are not connected. Definitively, these cases are not corrected. Connected, rather. Uh, I suspect one of the reasons why the cold case people had to come forward when they did is because their argument rests on Sherry Joe being a Zodiac victim. And suddenly the whole thing had fallen apart. I mean, to my mind, and people can disagree with me, I'm sure they have, you can look at those letters and you can look at the Zodiac letters and you can see the consistencies or the stylistic similarities, but there are some really glaring dissimilarities to them. Um, the one that I think is the most significant is Zodiac often double stamped his letters. He used multiple stamps when he didn't necessarily need to, or like when he sends Melvin Belli six one cent stamps to make up the six cents of postage. The thing that Zodiac doesn't ever do is screw up postage. This is a guy who knows a lot about how much postage you need. The stamps on the Sherry Joe Bates letters they have they're multiple stamps, but they're there, but some of the postage is wrong. I mean, it just like he whoever sent those letters uses stamps that wouldn't cover the cost of the letter. So he then has to put another stamp on to cover the cost of that letter. And see, you know what makes sense about that is that if they publish things or things become public, you see the ciphers of the letters. A lot of people can copy that. What they can't copy is how the letter was sent. They don't know, they don't see the envelope, to your point. Yeah. They don't see the tradecraft behind that. Exactly. And that's where a lot of these fake uh, confessions fall. Yeah, I think only one or two of the Zodiac envelopes were published in the moment. One of them was the Belli letter. 
which I suspect got published because it was so well, different. And real quickly, why Melvin Belli was so famous, guess what, Murph? He was the lawyer who represented Jack Ruby after he killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was Melvin Belli. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's bring this, um, you know, let's bring full circle now and bring it to sure. a close. But has was there ever any DNA um, that was able to be recovered from the letters or anything else that might be used later uh, to uh, identify? My God, this is... This is one of the contentious issues. Um, SFPD developed a DNA profile, I think, in the late 90s, the early 2000s. Probably from the stamps? Yeah, I think from the stamps. By all accounts, it is a profile they no longer have any faith in. And there was... um, There was a documentary series on FX called The Most Dangerous Animal of All um, about a guy who thought his dad was Zodiac. And in the last episode of that, they have an interview with a man whose name I can't remember anymore, but who was the guy running the Zodiac case at SFPD. And they ask him about the DNA profile. And he says... Something like, well, how do we know that Zodiac ever touched these letters? That, to me, would indicate a department that doesn't have a lot of faith in the DNA profile that they developed. And the the profile that they developed was, and I don't know that much about DNA, but it was incomplete, and I think it didn't have enough markers so that it could go into CODIS or to whatever the California equivalent of CODIS was. Now, and I don't fully understand, I don't fully remember the story of this. I think when that DNA profile was being developed, it was being developed by the SFPD and ABC News, something like that. And when they're pulling the stamps off, they find a hair under one of the stamps. So at the time, say this is 99 or 2000, 2002, whatever it was, the technology was not there to get DNA off of a single hair. My understanding is that technology has advanced profoundly and that it is now at least, I mean, people have done it and that it is theoretically possible to get DNA off of a single hair. That being said, a single rootless hair, I think that was the the big leap forward. That being said, I think it's also unbelievably expensive, like just incredibly expensive. But the truth of all of this is that hair at some point probably will yield some DNA and it probably will be the end of this, one way or the other. That's my guess. Yeah, the, the DNA is, has advanced so much to the point it's actually causing problems now because it's become so sophisticated. Now you get touch DNA. Right. And it's transferred. You know, um, there's a thing called low cards there, you know, about, you know, you, anytime you enter a crime scene, you bring something into it and you leave with something. Uh, same thing with touch DNA. And so now it's before it was like, if you had DNA, that's the be all to end all. That's a silver bullet. Now it's like, 
if I touched the bottle and I gave it to Murph and Murph bashed it over your head, my DNA would be on it, even though I right. had nothing to do with it. So mm. you know, it, now yeah. the sophistication has created another problem. Well, let's do this, Jared. We've kept you. you I know you got to pack. You got to get your speedo uh, packed and everything. You know, for your vacation. Sure. But hey, but let's talk about this. After the book came out, um, you know, on some of the comments. How generally, how has it been received with some of the stuff? I know, do you, I mean, do you read your own reviews or what do you do, but how's it been received? I mean, I tend not to, I, I really like, you know, I think it's been a range. I think some people really don't like it. Some people really think it's full of crap. Some people are more ambivalent. Some people are really probably too enthusiastic about it. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's been a range, but again, I think the thing about this is there's been 50 years of bad faith and false leads and people are right to be skeptical. I would be skeptical. If I read the book, I'd be skeptical. So I, you know, it doesn't really bother me. I, 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 no one, I mean, the thing that probably is the weirdest about it is, as I've said, the book is really skeptical of itself and of me. And there have been people who think that it's not, and I don't know what book they're reading. That's, <laughs> that's about, that's been the weirdest part of it where it's just like, it's a really skeptical book of the thing that it is putting forward. And, you know, on the other side too, there are people who have taken it as absolute gospel truth. And it's like, I'm not sure what book you're reading. Cause the book, <laughs> the book is not, it's not carved into the 10 commandments, yeah, you know, in stone so, here, folks. And I mean, you know, some of the stuff that the book asked people to believe they were quite right to be skeptical about. I mean, it's some of it's since been confirmed, but one of the things that I did, was able to do was find a photo of door uh at a public event in, in early fall 1968 at a renaissance festival and people you know they were right to be skeptical because imagine this idea of somebody some writer in his apartment who's somehow able to track down a face in the crowd from 52 years ago it shouldn't be true you know like it's really crazy and of course the thing about it is door really looks like the zodiac sketch that the sfpd produced he really looks like it dang well final question here has anything arisen since the publication of the book that you've come across that disproves to your satisfaction that door is the zodiac no, I, I think the, th the, the, the biggest thing, like I said, is probably is that Renaissance attendance, the, the possibility of, but I mean, that is not, but, hard. but that's not definitive either. I mean, that's like, yeah. it, it would be definitive only if, if you could prove that he was there during that entire time, then, yeah. you know, the, if then, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not a great, it's not a great alibi, but it's the closest I've gotten. You know, hey, but I appreciate the fact that you put it out there, and it's like you don't believe your own legend. Well, I right. wrote it; it has to be true. It's on the internet. You know, everybody just sit no, back. I, and I mean, I I am fully genuine. I no one wants this not to be true more than me. You know, I don't need the headache. 
<laughs> like this is not this this is the thing I've said and I've said this in other interviews it's like being wrong about zodiac is a known fate then you're a harmless eccentric you know you're the person who like everyone in California thought you saw the truth you know being right about zodiac that's a big question mark and you know my life is settled i don't i don't need more more things that's more how stress I felt. and consternation and accusations yeah. and everything that goes how, along with it yeah that's how i felt the whole time i was writing it was like and, and doing the research was like i really don't want this headache but i still did it so yeah i don't want the headache but i did it you know yeah, and now look at you on, you're You've been stuck here with us for two hours. Well, it's getting worse. Pleasant, you know. <laughs> hey, well, let's finish off by doing this. By what's coming next? What What are you? What What is your next great adventure? You are on to. I'm. You know, I had not to get maudlin, but I had uh, I had some really unfortunate events happen right before the book came out, where you know my oldest friend had an overdose. Uh, and died. And then my father died about three weeks after that. So up until the last couple of weeks, maybe the last month, two months, I've just been dealing with that. You know, like it, 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 it hit me a lot. I mean, I knew it would be hard, but it hit me much, much harder than I thought I, I imagined was possible. And so I haven't even been able to think about writing at all so i don't know you know something maybe you can write a book um why i hate true crime podcasts and all the stupid questions they ask <laughs> well you got you i mean you guys will be on the cover right yeah that's yeah don't put my picture on the cover yeah <laughs> on the cover of the rolling stone yeah here we go all right <laughs> Hey, well, look, Jerry. We got to tell you first of all, we want to thank your folks um, um, for helping set this up. Yes, um, sure. we all go through uh, as we find out um, UTA. So, oh yeah, that's something yeah, we yeah. all have in common, you know. Uh, and uh, so it's good to kind of keep it in the family and get that done. But we're we're we glad that you came on and did this. And of course, for everybody that you, for folks out there, they know we put it on our book page. So we're going to put it. It's called How to Find Zodiac, Jared Kobeck. And it's uh, you guys can't see this, but I've got the book here. In addition to the audiobook, so we'll put links for the audiobook as well as for this book, and put it up there. And then, of course, you're going to share it with your millions of fans out there, and we're going to drive our numbers through the roof so we can retire here next year. Um, that, <laughs> if you if you're up for that, so are we. Now we'll yeah. join Jared on his next vacation. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> hey, it's been Jared. It has been an honor to have you on here. And what I think what I like most about this is is your honesty. Um, and and your transparency and how you conducted this in investigation, that's what it is. You call it research. It's an investigation. But how you present your conclusions, that they're not conclusive. So um, so it's like Morgan said, well, like, there's so many people who go out there and like, yep, I proved it. This is me. But you're being very honest about it. We really, truly appreciate that. This is a little bit different for us uh, on Game of Crimes. But, uh, hey, it's it's an old 50-plus-year multi-murder case serial killer case so hey, thank you did very Anne, much for coming on we did Anne frank you know so we had a yeah. guy did the investigation on Anne frank oh, yeah. and uh found out who they believe was the person who um basically um uh, turned them over to the nazis but with this what we like though is it's a good mystery but what we like more than anything else is the professionalism when people approach it 
and and to do the research. Like I said, one of the reasons we reached out is after looking at this in the book, it's kind of like you, you paid your dues on this one. You did the work, you know, uh, and that's why we wanted to have you on. So hopefully people will understand the amount of work that goes into and they'll appreciate your conclusion. So yeah, we want you, you, did the work, you. Yep. you did the work and now you paid the price because you're on here with us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys hang tight. Don't go anywhere for a second. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Told you, told you, told you, told you. It was, I mean, anyway, impressed with Jared. He's done the work. And like I said, uh, he... He gets a lot of requests to do podcasts. He does very few of them. And one of the reasons he did us was because of our stature, because we're yeah. cops. Because I think you felt sorry for us. <laughs> <laughs> we said, please, please come on our show. Um, no, no, it was it was good. Uh, and look, kudos to him and the team for the work they did. Uh, and thanks again to the folks um, you know, at, at Audio Boom for helping us arrange this in UTA. United Talent Agents, we work with them. Uh, so they helped us uh, do that. And Podium, which is the people behind the spoken portion of the book, right. you know, how to find Zodiac. So no, great stuff. And hopefully you guys enjoy that. Make sure you download the book, make sure you buy the book as well too. Cause it's interesting. You get stuff in the book, drawings and stuff that you don't get obviously on the audio podcast or the audio uh, book. Yeah. And what I really liked about Jared's interview is his, he's not tooting his own horn. He's not bragging about anything. He's very transparent. He's very honest. He's being very humble about this. And you heard him yourself, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's like, you know, I'm not saying this. I'm just providing the information that I uncovered. So it, it's it's not like uh, some of those flamboyant office, authors out there that are like, well, I'll solve this. It's the ultimate answer to the question that will never be answered. But my information is correct. So, Jared, you did a fantastic job, not only on the book, but on the interview. So thank you very much for being on Game of Crimes. And it's the humility, too. He says, I think I'm, I, I don't know that I'm right. He says, I'm, I'm probably wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. But, you know, but, and he had some moral and ethical issues that he dealt with about naming people and doing stuff. So uh, kudos to you, Jared Kobeck. Yep. How to find Zodiac, uh, which was the follow-on to Motor Spirit, The Long Hunt for Zodiac that he wrote before that. So all of these things you will find on the book page. But in the meantime, head on over to Apple and Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you think. You know, this is the way people find out about the show. Share this one. This Zodiac one, I guarantee you, is interesting. People want to know. They're looking, still looking for theories, and we think Jared has got a solid theory mm -hmm. on the case here. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. This is where you find the books, like we said. Follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes on Podcast, uh, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram. But where you got to be is Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We're going to be covering, I think it looks like we're going to be covering the Boston Marathon bombing, the series, you know, for our case mm -hmm. of the month. We've got You Can't Make This Shit Up, which a couple of the stories on Small Town Police Blotter were uh, mm -hmm. candidates for that. It's like <laughs> you walk into a police station to hold them and rob them, and you go, no, I was just joking. That doesn't work that way, Skippy. Uh, but that's, you know, but if you want to find out more. That's where we'll be doing it. But hey, Murph, overall, I just think it's great. We're closing in on episode 100. And so people have asked, here's what you can do. I think we'll do a retrospective of episode 100. People, get your questions in. So if you want to get questions, go to go to the fan page, uh, Game of Crimes. If you're a member of the fans page, if not, join it. Or you can go to our Facebook group, uh, Game of Crimes Podcast. You'll see it on there. Or send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com. Just hit us up there on Twitter. You know, put your questions over on Twitter. We'll assemble some questions and we'll do kind of a retrospective episode 100. Because, guys, this will have been, uh, you know, uh, closing in on two years. We've been doing yeah. this now. 
It's it's hard to believe, isn't it? I, and I'm still having a blast. I, you know, I, this is a lot of work, but it's a lot of work that you enjoy doing, especially when you get the the, the folks on Patreon, the fan club. I was just out in, in New Mexico this past week with Javier speaking to the New Mexico Gang Task Force Conference uh, and have people come up and say, man, I'm a big fan of Game of Crimes. We love it. And then it makes all this work seem worth it. So man, we appreciate your support. We ask that you give us the five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen, and tell your friends we need more numbers. Tell one, share one. And thank you guys and enjoy. Thank you guys once again for helping us find Zodiac. But also, more importantly, thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 